Well, good morning. It is Thursday, January 18th, seven minutes after nine. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Let's talk about what happened on the Hill yesterday. The Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, said now is not the time for comprehensive immigration reform. He was voicing his skepticism. There was a deal that was being crafted with the Senate, and they were trying to pair uh, border security and uh, also Ukraine aid all together. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. Now's not the time for this comprehensive immigration reform. Okay, Casey, so question for you, because you are the moderate voice of reason on this program, and I am but a radical right wing outside the mainstream lunatic. So I'll, I'll put this to you. What in the world do securing the border and Ukraine have to do with one another? They have nothing to do with one another. Oh, well, gosh darn it. I'm so glad we agree on that. And this is why people hate government. This is what they always do. Instead of taking an issue which is its own issue, which is securing the southern border and keeping 300 million, three, not 300, three million, I don't want to, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but it might as well at this point be 300 million. Three million illegal people annually from entering the country and saying, that's priority one, let's fix it. No, they try to jam this Ukraine funding bill, which they know the majority of people are turning against, Mm -hmm. and they know people in Congress are starting to turn against because they are just lapdogs for whatever way the wind blows at the moment on the thing that's in front of them. And since they can't get that done on its own, now we're going to tie it to a thing which is actually important and actually needs to be done, which is funding and securing the southern border. Okay, so Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, he said the meeting was productive. He insisted that Joe Biden agreed to, quote, substantive policy changes at the border, although he said it's a complex issue and now's not the right time to to do these comprehensive reforms. And a new ABC poll says that only 18 percent of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the border, which, by the way, is the lowest rating on immigration for any president since January of 04. For the past 20 years, Biden stinks the most. Well, and and Johnson is absolutely right. You don't need any immigration reform. You need a president to enforce the law. Period. End of story. There are enough laws to secure this country as is right now. No new laws, no new reforms. Just tell the guy in charge, enforce the law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they want to restart the Remain in Mexico asylum policy. Some of the changes that the Biden administration want to include are uh, asylum policy and also parole is a big sticking point. Parole? But, yes, parole. Parole for what? You're in the country legally. Get out! <laughs> so, uh, Chuck Schumer, after the meeting... He was saying that Democrats are not willing to pass border security before passing funding for Ukraine. We said we have to do both. There were a couple of people in the room who said, let's do border first. We said we have to do both together. Isn't that crazy that the Democrats are openly admitting, and look, there are many Republicans who agree with them on this. Mitch McConnell famously said at the end of 2022 that funding Ukraine is the most important thing to Senate Republicans. This is how much your elected people hate you, that they are refusing to secure the southern border in the country in which you live and pay taxes in order to force tens of billions of dollars of printed money to do- go to a country that actually has no track record of liking us. Mm-hmm. This is this is insane, Casey. And they don't 
Part of this is on us, though, because they fear Americans so little now, the elected people fear the public at large so little that they will now openly tell you, screw you, we're not going to take care of you here until we make sure that this foreign government that doesn't even like us gets a bunch of your money. Doesn't it seem like that the military industrial complex is more important than the safety and security of Americans right here? It is to them. 100% is to them because we have proven to them, we voters, taxpayers, American people have proven to them time and time and time again, no matter what you do to us, we are not going to give you a reason to take us serious. We're going to be apathetic. We're going to be disinterested. We're going to vote based on our feelings rather than what's actually best for us. You can manipulate us. You can deceive us. They, If you're a Schumer, you have no reason to actually worry about backlash over this. And now they just say it out loud. It's almost like they've got an a la carte menu at a restaurant and they just want to pick and choose what's on there. But Mike Johnson said that the House is ready to act, but the legislation has to solve the problem. Uh, We understand the necessity about Ukraine funding and we want to say that the status quo is unacceptable. We need the commander in chief of this country, the president of the United States, to to show strength on the world stage and not weakness. We cannot continue with the current status quo. We understand the importance of what's been needed. But when I met with President Zelensky just last month, uh, right before Christmas, he said that the necessary ingredient is the proper weapons systems that they need. Um, there, there are certain things that are that are needed to ensure that they can prevail. We need the questions answered about the, the strategy, about the end game, and about the accountability for the precious treasure of the American people. We understand that all these things are important, but we must insist, we must insist that the border be the top priority. It is crazy that we are even having this conversation out loud. It is insane to think that we have we have dropped so far in this country and we are so poorly governed that we are literally having a fight over whether we should know who's coming in and out of this country and keep dangerous people from coming in and out of this country. And the Democrats, along with Senate Republicans, are invested in illegal immigration. We have one of the branches of government that is invested, Casey, Mm -hmm. straight up, and they don't deny it, and they don't hide it from getting as many people into this country as they possibly can, and knowing about who they are and why they're here is totally secondary. Well, it's not even just the danger to Americans of the uh, people coming across the border, but it's the financial commitment. And and no matter which way you look at it, we lose. Because whether they want to send our money to Ukraine or they want to give it away to... the immigrants that are coming in, we're paying for it. And you'd think the president that this would be top of mind for him, right? This would be priority one, securing the border of our country. Well, Karine Jean-Pierre, she had herself a little presser. Oh. And did she say that Biden's main focus was on the border? <laughs> Don't be silly. Our focus today, the president's focus today is going to be about Ukraine and the importance of continuing to support Ukraine as they fight against tyranny, as they fight against uh, President Putin's aggression. That's going to be the focus. And I said, the president is, you know, he brings people together, obviously is is willing to to listen uh, to what folks have to say. But that is the purpose as Ukraine uh, and those negotiations on the Hill, on the Senate side is going to continue. So. His focus is not the crisis at the southern border. It's a country across the world. 
Yes. Oh, that was a pause for me to take it from you. Mm-hmm. I just I didn't know if you were done or not. I wanted to give you ample opportunity to finish your thought. Uh, well, right. But they don't. If you politicians are predators, Casey, and we've talked about this before, that the these people will eat and consume whatever is in front of them that they can get away with eating and consuming. And the American people have time and again showed these people that the level it takes, the bull crap you have to pull for which we will actually hold you accountable for something. I mean, Casey, look, it is, if you tried, you couldn't do a worse job than Joe Biden has done running this country. And it right now is a 50-50 shot on whether he's going to be reelected. All the it that Joe Biden has pulled <laughs> over the past four years, mm-hmm. and it is a 50-50 shot on whether he's going to be reelected as president of the United States. They don't fear anything. They don't fear us. They don't fear being held accountable. So they just, it used to be like they would do it, but you don't say it out loud. Now they just say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, this UFC fighter, Sean Strickland, he had a press conference, and uh, I, I want to play it next, but before we do, I have to double check with Kevin and make sure that Kevin Kevin did his Should we take a break? Pr- producer job because there's okay. a few bleeps that needed to be added. So we're going to take a break and then we've got that coming up. And also we're going to talk about the latest thing that Gavin Newsom out of California has done. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. 21 minutes after nine, it's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. So UFC middleweight champion Sean Strickland, he's preparing for a fight on Saturday night and he's been sparring with reporters over some comments that he made. He started off a rant and he was talking about the transgender community and uh, the reporter tried to move on from that. Uh, The reporter mentioned how the fighter was going to use his time to speak out against Bud Light, the trans community and even trans activist Dylan Mulvaney. But it did not stop there. And then this uh, Sean Strickland decided to take his podium and start railing against COVID and Justin Trudeau in Canada. And Kevin has done his job successfully. So let's take a listen. Sean, uh, Neil Davidson from the Canadian Press. Welcome Mm. to Canada. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) The Canadian press, man. Were you a uh, were you a, uh, a COVID bank account stealer too? Were you on board with that? No. I, I, Are you left wing or right wing? Were you a were you a Trudeau? We got one of the, we got one of the commies with the press. We got to know where this man stands. Were you non biased? I think I'll ask the questions here. Oh, he thinks he'll ask. Oh, we know. Maybe I should just pass on this motherfucker. He's gonna go back. He's gonna go back and give my bank account information to Trudeau. <laughs> Well, it's probably a good bank account. Did he sound drunk? <laughs> well, he did. Okay, so a couple things at play here. So UFC is sort of as World Wrestling Entertainment has totally become dumbed down and desensitized or whatever the word is. It's become much more uh, PG programming as they became a you know a, a publicly traded company and they don't do that sort of stuff anymore. So now UFC has kind of filled that void in terms of wacky, over-the-top characters who will do and say anything. And I think these guys kind of do these things mm-hmm. you'll see this all the time with ufc because they can notice like we're playing this guy we had a, we would have no idea who sean strickland is or say anything about him and now us and other radio shows across he's the getting country. headlines exactly so yeah. he's getting what he wants they're provocateurs that they have like i said kind of filled the world wrestling entertainment salacious entertainment vacuum yeah and 
it does. It is interesting. Now, the language shouldn't be doing that. And this guy didn't do anything to you. And he's probably there to cover the fight. And this reporter is probably innocent enough. And so that by that standard, it's kind of inappropriate. However, it is fascinating when you push back on these media people, mm-hmm. how little answer they have for it, and it, for it. Right. They're not good when they are on the defensive. Media is great at being on the offensive. And so if you're a candidate like this, just bring this like to us back to us. If you're a candidate for public office, this is a great example of how to actually handle the media, not in terms of the profanity or the, you know, if they don't do anything to you. But if you get a question, Ramaswamy was great at this. You don't, you're not subservient to right. them. Right. You, well, that reporter says, I'm going to ask the exactly. questions. And Sean Strickland was like, I'm the one with the microphone. Exactly. You came to talk to me. Now, there is a polite, respectful way. And I thought Ramaswamy was very good at that. You don't have to use profanity like this guy did. And he was kind of being a, you know, over the top jerk about it. But if you get a stupid question, you're not beholden to answer that question or play ball with these people it's part of why the media hates trump so much and i've heard this for many many years and it's true the media didn't make trump media usually makes candidates candidates let politicians let the media make them and so as such the media can actually you know in a sense break them but with trump Trump became famous because he's Trump. He didn't, you know, he for who he is. The media didn't create him as a as a candidate. And so if you're a candidate for public office, you are not required to be subservient or answer or play ball with or accept the premise of whatever questions these media people throw out at you. Well, I think it's an interesting turn that these athletes now are not scared about losing sponsorships. I mean, you recall in the past, somebody famously asked Michael Jordan about selling shoes and he said, you know, Republicans wear shoes too. Um, And you would tiptoe through it. But now this guy is putting his thoughts out there. He even went on to say 10 years ago to be trans was a mental illness. Now all of a sudden people are weaseling their way into the world. So he's not afraid of losing his sponsorships. It's like he does not care. He'd rather be able to state his opinion than fear of losing money. Well, and again, I think it's part of, and I was thinking about this driving into work today about uh, the connectivity of the world and there was a time where the world was connected through a handful of super powerful media outlets, right? If if the nightly news didn't cover it, then it didn't exist. Or if the New York Times or Wall Street Journal didn't cover it, it didn't exist. Or if, if it was sports, if it wasn't on ESPN, it didn't exist. That's all over now because mm-hmm. everybody's connected with the social media apps. You know, this, it was, this probably wasn't on the NBC nightly news, but it was all over Twitter. Yep. So where did we pick it up from? Yep. We picked it up from Twitter and we're a mainstream media outlet. And so you have you know, secondary or fringe media or whatever, covering something, promoting it, and then mainstream, you know, can can take it from there. So I just think it, we are in a world where everyone is, is encouraged to be as salacious as they possibly can be, to be as over the top as they possibly can be. And because that's what you have to do to break through to get any attention. You're right. Yeah. And we look, Full disclosure, we are rewarding it here. We're covering it. Now, let me be, actually, let me correct myself. You are rewarding it and covering it because you do the template. Mm -hmm. But it's the world in which we live now. This is the new norm. 
this is the new norm, which is this is the way people will respond. Politicians respond this way. You have, I mean, that coach for the Patriots yesterday gave, mm-hmm. the, I mean, that press conference was just bizarre and weird. And uh, I mean, it's like you would have never seen something like that even 10 years ago. But now this is this is what it is. And we're going to cover that later in the show, actually. It is 27 minutes after nine. We're going to talk about Gavin Newsom on the way. But next, we've got Kurt Darling in the news. And also, Jim Merritt's going to join us on 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's here, and it is time for us to do a deep dive on what in the world is going on this week with Indiana politics and government. And to do that, boy, do we have an expert. He spent 30 years in the Indiana Senate, once the most beloved man in Indiana politics and government, before he made the egregious mistake of becoming friends with me, the great Jim Merritt. Hello. (laughs) Morning, Robert. Once. All right. So uh, here, before we get into this governor's uh, fundraising stuff, which I think is fascinating, you were at the the big speech that I gave the other day at Kloppenstein Stein's event. Yes, it, it's it's called Chew on It. It's the Lawrence Chamber where where uh, uh, Klopp is the president of the chamber brings in notables such yeah. as yourself, dignitaries, and, notables. Yeah, Infamous. and Abdul, Abdul was a speaker last month, and uh, he just brings people in to give their slice of life and. And Robert, you did a good job. Yeah, I thought it was very fair. Lots of questions. There was no explosive rage or anger or no, anything like that. I helped that. with the introduction a little bit because I think a lot of people need to know of your background yeah. with North Carolina and owning a, a radio station. And, and uh, you're just not a, just another pretty yeah. face, Robert. I have an incredible story, and I hope to tell it someday. <laughs> if only I had an outlet, Casey, to tell my story. Yeah, I'm, if only I'm you here. had a platform. Uh, so that no point nobody threw any food at him. No, they haven't been fed yet. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about this because there was uh, Casey and I had said this guy was probably going to be there, and he was. He's the husband of a sitting state senator. Yes. Who mm-hmm. has some issues with our show because we're critical of the Republicans. And he was like the first hand that mm-hmm. went up. I mean, like, there was as though someone had ejected his arm into the air with a cannon of some sort. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, I don't disagree with a lot of what you have to say, but I get mad that you paint all these Republicans with a broad brush and not everybody is the same. And I said, wait a second, buddy. They almost all vote the same. They almost all vote in lockstep. They almost all universally are never publicly critical of the governor or whatever the Republican Party is doing. So why would I not paint them all with a broad brush? And he was like, well, behind the scenes, I don't care about what's going on behind the scenes, Jim, because it never spills out into the public and there's no pushback ever against the governor. Well, this is what happens with supermajorities and and a governor that has a long memory. And yeah. uh, spiteful, vengeful, and and so it people are very fearful of stepping out of line, and and the members of the Senate that came out yesterday that wanted to uh, alter how the governor operates in emergency executive orders. That was really the first time I'd, I'd really seen mm-hmm. uh, leadership in in both chambers of the House of Representatives and the Senate that have stepped out and said, you know, we want to curtail, we want to cut the power of the governor that we gave him uh, a, a, a certain amount of time ago. And and when, when Mitch Daniels was governor, he was given executive order because of the coming uh, recession, the Great Recession, and so he could run state government when the legislature wasn't in, the, in power. And, and, you know, 
God bless the individual that was there because he's very defensive because of being his wife being in the middle of everything. Uh, but but Robert, you had the right answer is no one's really stepping out these days. Uh, you know, th- remember the big comma problem, yeah. the billion-dollar mistake. Yeah. And somebody should have been fired about that, Robert. And it's just Casey. gone away? It, they just, it, it, just, it just went away, and, and he, the Democrat he, Party isn't strong enough to make a case of why that's such a large situation. And here's what's wild about this, case. We talked about this yesterday. He's agreeing with what I'm saying. You're just basically mad that your wife is a senator, so she's part of what I'm talking about. And I told him, I said, if your wife would say something publicly... Mm-hmm or would routinely get up and and be a voice against. I said, but she's not going to do that because look at what happened to John Jacob and Kurt Nicely. Now, those guys had their own issues, but that's gross, Jim. They spent a million dollars to get rid of those guys in a primary. Mm-hmm. And so people like your wife, to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I said to this guy, are looking at that going, I'm not doing that. Well, then if you're not going to stand up for me, then I'm going to paint you with the same brush as everyone else. And he didn't have much to say to that. Well, and also you look at, you look at the Leap District, which is pretty controversial. It's a great... A project, but there are some parts, uh, in, in specifically the water, that it are um, being objected to, and and you hear um, in the cheat sheet or other uh, publications that their legislators are upset. But I've not seen one legislator come to a microphone and say, "This is a problem. I'm I'm going to fix it." I've not seen a press conference. Maybe I've been living under a rock, and it's a great opportunity for somebody to come forward and say. I disagree with this, and uh, and unless I I'm missing something, I I'm not seeing that coming forward, and and as well as the fact that there are a lot lots of issues that people uh, disagree with, but um, you see Democrats uh, coming and talking about you know child protective services or FSSA. But uh, no Dem- no Republicans is really stepping out. Well, that's kind of like Democrats talking about property taxes when they know that Republicans have the supermajority and they're not going to be able to do anything about it. It just sounds like talk. But to the people who stepped out and were questioning the governor's executive power, don't you think that's a little disingenuous? It's kind of like, where were you a couple years ago? It's nice that you can say that when he's given his final state of the state address. Yep. You know they can't do anything about it. The mm-hmm. guy's on his way out the mm-hmm. door. Why now? Where were you a couple years ago? Well, I did tweet. Um, I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's an excellent proposal because I think the power is lopsided with the governor now. The governor should be the most powerful, but I tweeted last night that this is a good, positive step, but late. Right. And and I think that uh, that a governor can't govern through emergency powers with executive orders. The, the governor getting us through pa- the pandemic did it 30-plus times. And and I, I believe the executive orders, uh, for those of you listening, the, the legislature gave the governor the executive order power to get us through the Great Recession back in eight and nine. And, and now with the pandemic so that they can make on the run decisions uh, because the legislature isn't always there. My proposal some time ago when all this was a big deal is that he could have or she could have 30, three 30-day uh, executive orders, and after the 90th day, if they wanted to have another executive executive order, they had to bring the session, special session in with the Indiana General Assembly because an emergency after 90 days, somebody has to be talking to somebody rather than the governor being having everything at his 
beck and call. Uh, Jim Merritt, our guest. And so what you're referencing here is there's a new bill out just in time for Holcomb, as Casey, both brilliant and beautiful, pointed out, to leave office. So they're really going to rein mm-hmm. in the, the power of the governor. It is pathetic how afraid these people are of Eric Holcomb. I mean, it is gross. And I told that guy the, the, at the lunch, I said, that's it's pathetic that these people are uh, have for seven years now, going into year eight, been afraid to stand up to this guy. This should have happened a long time ago, Robert. And, and uh, uh, you know, obviously we had an emergency, but the, the session after uh, COVID really waned, this should have they should have gotten the reins back and and uh, and and really been a partner of the governor rather than an order taker. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, before we let you go, the fundraising numbers are out for these very rich, wealthy people running for governor. Capital Chronicle has a great breakdown of all of this. So you can read it in detail. Brad Chambers has raised $8.3 million. Five of it came from himself. He's touting himself as an outsider. Um, I don't think outsiders are able to raise $3.3 million just randomly hopping in the race, Jim. I don't don't either. And um, if these governor uh, candidates have to figure out how to set themselves apart from the pack, we know Braun, and we've we've seen polls, we know Braun's leading, but if I'm running for governor right now and I'm I'm taking a second swing at those those, uh, generous donors that have given me so much money, but I'm going back to them, I'm I'm looking at getting a lieutenant governor uh, candidate to go with me to raise money separately to be a fresh look so I can say to a prospective donor on the second time around, things have changed, my campaign is growing, I have this excellent partner that's running with me, uh, and as well as allow that lieutenant governor to get start getting no possible delegates to the convention because the Republican Party will have to bless that choice. And we know Reverend... Uh, Pastor Beckwith is is in the shadows running for lieutenant yeah, governor. He raised, so there's a lot of activity going on. He raised sixty six thousand dollars, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive for an office that nobody's ever really campaigned for before. And relatively anybody in the Republican Party knows Beckwith, so yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, so I mean, he is going to be a player at the table. So it does raise the question: if it really sets, it puts these governor candidates in a bad position, because if you're Braun, if you're Doden, if you're uh, uh, Crouch, if you're Chambers, th- I'm sure none of those four actually want Beckwith because they want a teammate, not a, you know, an adversary. Oh, they absolutely don't, they don't want not. Somebody. So don't you have to kind of maybe in February, once you're on the ballot, pick your person and go, uh, Johnny, it's now or never. You better get ready to run for lieutenant governor. Yeah. And it's a fresh look at your campaign. Uh, it, it sets you apart. Indiana is a large state, 92 counties, and it's a long state. You're splitting the you're splitting the state up with with your running mate, and uh, it's an opportunity to kind of uh, fresh up your campaign. And why wouldn't you do it? Because those individuals have their own donor list, or if they don't, then you shouldn't be picking them for lieutenant governor. And you can uh, you can start putting your imprint on what you're gubernatorial uh, administration would look like in the coming years. Casey, you interested in running? Uh, for what, Lieutenant L- Governor? Lieutenant Governor, I think uh, no, it'd be a I'm, great choice. I'm not going to run against Mike. I think he'd be <laughs> awesome. Is there any way that uh, a candidate like Braun or Chambers would pick uh, somebody who's not Micah Beckwith and then the delegates actually pick Micah? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Micah, I think, is probably following the, the campaign model of Diego Morales, where Diego crisscrossed the state, like him or not. Yeah, I was going to say, Diego, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, he crisscrossed the state. 
He brought so many people in as delegates themselves. And that's really what his foundation, and it was a firm foundation, his getting the delegates that he liked, that liked him uh, to run for delegate. And I'm certain, and Mike is a smart guy, smart fellow. I can't tell you the joy it would bring me if it is, let's say it is Braun and Micah Beckwith. I know. I think that should be the ticket. People well, should, people that Braun are delegates should vote for Micah just based on the four years of entertainment that you will get if you have a lieutenant governor <laughs> who is not lockstep and the hand-chosen toady well, of the governor's nominee. Well, Robert, look at it this way. The, the second Secretary of State at the time was a it was a governor governor selection. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Holcomb had picked uh, the Secretary of State, the resident of the office, the incumbent. Yeah, and then and then Mike, or excuse me, uh, Diego is crisscrossing around the state and beats the governor. Really, yeah, mm-hmm. and so this can happen. Uh, Pastor Beckwith has a chance because he's been out there for the last three or four months. He's raising money, mm-hmm. and uh, and regardless if he's picked by the uh, the victorious primary governor candidate, he has an opportunity to 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 um, take on the establishment. I still laugh at that social media post. You and Micah were out golfing one day, yeah, and somebody had commented in the comments uh, about, "Don't you ever work, Lieutenant Governor?" So in that person's <laughs> mind, Micah already was the Lieutenant Governor. Uh- you can find him on Twitter at Jim underscore Merritt and the Merritt in the Morning podcast, mm-hmm. Facebook, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. At JWM Merit. Consulting. Yeah, there you- <laughs> I love that you're throwing your consulting business out there, too. What a marketeur. Uh, maybe we'll do a, a conversation on that one day. Jim Merritt, thank you. Thank you. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Baseball. Basketball. Nine minutes in front of ten. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Let's talk about sports, shall we? So Gavin Newsom, governor of California, says he will not sign a proposed ban on tackle football for children under the age of 12. And that kind of ends a, well, the short-lived hopes of some advocates who are putting the bill uh, forward and hoping that it would become law. So for Gavin Newsom to weigh in, I think, you know, it's going to be done. It's not going to happen. He says that he's deeply concerned about the health and safety of our young athletes, but an outright ban is not the answer. Uh, this is So this is crazy. Think about how radically left you have to be for Gavin Newsom to come in and go, whoa, mm-hmm. you guys have kind of gone a little too far over here. So the state of California wanted to ban Mm -hmm. the playing of tackle football for kids under the age of 12. Yeah. And that is just ludicrous. I mean, look, look at how brilliant I am, Casey. And I played tackle football from (laughs) eight through, I don't know, 15, 16, whatever it was. And the technology now is so much greater and so much more is known now than it was then mm-hmm. and this is just insane and this is another example of when you put commies and marxists in charge of everything they try to take away everything from you you're the parent 
You are the parent. You decide if your kid plays football the same way as you decide, does my kid play soccer or basketball or anything else? Mm -hmm. You are in charge of your kid, and this is another example of the government thinking they know how to raise your kid better than you do. Right, that's it exactly. Another situation where we want to get the government involved when, in fact, it should be up to the parent if they think that the football is too dangerous for their kid. Newsom said that he's going to uh, strengthen safety in youth football, but ensuring parents have the freedom to decide which sports are most appropriate for their children. Now, the number for teenagers playing football in California dropped in recent years. It did increase a little bit last year, but it had an 18% drop between 2015 and 22 uh, with flag football becoming a little bit more popular. Flag football. Doesn't that sound sexy and exciting, Casey? Hey, can you imagine you're at a bar? What What do you do? Oh, I play football. Oh, you're on the college team? No, I, well, kind of. I'm on the flag football college team. Look, football participation is down because there are risks and injuries associated with playing football. Mm-hmm. And there's been a rise in soccer. And although how long have we been told for? Soccer is the next great sport in America. And mm-hmm. it, just, it never takes off. But yes, there is a decline in people playing football because parents, the people in charge of their kids, are aware of certain risks, et cetera, associated with playing football. And they have decided not to have their kids do that or they have other interests or in a big part of this, and you know this because your child was an athlete, a lot of kids pick one sport and do it year round now, mm-hmm. whether it's you know baseball or, or basketball or golf or whatever. And that's fine. But this is insane to tell somebody because part of playing football at a young age is learning how to do things the right way. How do you tackle, you know, with your head up? How do you avoid helmet to helmet contact? All of these things, you have to learn them at a young age because you're not just going to step on a football field in seventh grade and have it all figured out. This is crazy. Who would have thought that something like youth football would become a government Debate. No, that should be me. A, a, Who would have thought me? <laughs> you would have thought that should be a, a debate that parents have in their family room. Not something that the governor needs to weigh in on, but apparently he did, and he's saying, no, we're not doing that. It is five minutes away from 10. It's Kendall and Casey. It's 93 WIBC. Down the beach.